As the children are being dismissed to their class, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Matthew. The Gospel, Matthew, chapter 16. It's going to be a springboard for our discussion today. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the rows there, it's going to be page 822. Matthew 16. Verse 18. But for context, I'm going to start verse 13 so you can kind of see what's going on here in the context. I had the privilege uh, in 2005 to be in, in Caesarea Philippi uh, where this, this took place. And I uh, taught from this passage. Um, I stood there where they think this, you know, around where this would have taken place in this location and talked about this very important uh, text of scripture because it's here where Jesus asked a very, very uh, important question that really all of us need to answer. And Peter gives a very good answer. And then in response to Peter's answer, Jesus then begins the teaching about this thing called the church and assembly and in the power uh, that God has granted to us. So let, let's read this in chapter 16, verse 13. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven." And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, it's not our purpose to go through all the, the uh, nuances of this text here, but let me just, just, just point out a couple things very quickly here, is that here we have Jesus revealing the power of the church. He's saying in the eternal nature of the church. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is going to be something that in part of God's plan, he set up what has become known as the church or the assembly here of people getting together. Now, if you read a theology book on ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, you would find that there's this, the couple ideas here. One is that there's a universal church, that all Christians are part of this universal church, which, by the way, Catholic, that's why the Catholic church started to be called Catholic, because Catholic means universal. And so they say it's one church. So the universal church. And I do hold to the idea of a universal church that I am part of a body of Christ that, that transcends nations and that is all over this world. And so that's why when I go to other countries and I meet with another body of, of believers there or I meet with other Christians there, I consider them my brothers and my sisters. That we are part of the same church, big C, but not part of the same church, little C, local church. 
So we see in this text here that, that there's a lot of power and a lot of authority and the eternal nature that is given to this idea of the church. Now Jesus doesn't, it's not his purpose to fully develop the concept of church in this text because we see that when he says in verse 20, don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ right now. He's still in this phase of, of bringing out or rolling out information in phases and he's starting with the small group of people, the disciples. And so, but why I wanted you to start here, why I wanted all of us to start here today, is I wanted us to see Jesus' first mention of the church and how he said that this is a very powerful organization. Now, what does it mean when he says that whatever is loosed or bound in heaven? That's basically talking about the authority in the church, that if the church makes a decision to accept someone into the church, then by, because of the Spirit's working in it, that the church is representation of that, then what we see is that we see um, that, that that decision, because it's Spirit-led, is also seen in heaven. And the same thing with excommunication. It's the same notion there. And again, it's not the purpose of the sermon today, but I wanted to maybe answer that question in your mind if it, if it, was, if it was there. But as I said earlier, today's message, we're going to be talking about membership. And, and, and if you were to say, Jeremy, take me to a passage of Scripture that says, uh, teaches about church membership, I would be, it would be very difficult for me to do that. Um, but also, we have other beliefs that, that we, uh, we accept and we believe based on the totality of Scripture. And so when I think when we look at the New Testament message and take it in its totality, we can understand, we can walk away with an understanding of a concept of church membership. It's kind of like the doctrine of the Trinity. If you were to say, Jeremy, give me a verse that teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, I could give you verses that allude to it. I could give you verses where all three members are present. I, I consider uh, one of the supports for that would be the, uh, the baptism of Jesus Christ, where the voice from heaven, Jesus is present in water, the Spirit descends like a dove. So in that context, we have all three persons of the Trinity present. But does that verse or does that passage teach the totality of the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, no, it doesn't, because we don't understand in there that all three persons are equal. We don't understand that all three persons are, are the same, uh, uh, but yet distinctly different. We see that in other places all throughout the Scriptures. And so as, as we are looking at the subject, we need to look at the totality of the New Testament. Now, one thing that I want to say about the church in this is that um, the church is not always a pleasant place to be. I'm going to be the first to admit that right, on, right out of the gate here. Um, some of us have been deeply, deeply wounded by the church, by churches that we've joined, that we've been a part of. Uh, some of you carry some burdens and some hurts that you have received by being a part of a church. I recognize that. I, I'm no different. Um, when the, the very first church I was a part of as a youth pastor, I was there for three years, and my time ended there with a very, very ugly church split. It was, um, I won't go into all the details of it, but it was, it was heart-wrenching. Um, people said things publicly about me that were just not true. People said things about the other pastor that just was not true. And it was a very, very difficult time. So I understand that pain can come by being part of a family. But I hope that doesn't cloud our understanding of what the Bible teaches our responsibility is in a 
in our involvement with the church. A friend of mine illustrates it this way. I, he, he's the master of the illustration. I mean, he's, he's a very gifted uh, person. He's a good writer. And uh, he's, he has three books published. And, and you know, I just read uh, another one of his books last night. It was just, just he's just really good. Um, he says this. He says, the church today is a lot like the ark was in Noah's day. He said, can you imagine being in the ark? I mean, it probably stunk. You know, there probably was some water leaking in in different places. There was a lot of responsibility. It was noisy, I'm sure. It, it probably wasn't a smooth, peaceful ride like a cruise ship was. My wife and I have been on two cruises in our married life, and, and uh, we love it because it's just a great way to relax. We can read tons of books and eat whenever you want, and it's just great. Uh, but I remember the first cruise we were on, and uh, I, I walked outside the, the, the one of the mornings, and we were in the middle of the most intense fog I, I'd ever seen. I mean, it was, you couldn't see anything. And um, the, the captain came over to the loudspeaker and says, I'm going to find you guys some sunshine. Okay? And sure enough, within a couple hours, he had re-navigated everything, and, and we were in the sun again. You know, because if, if you're on a cruise, you, you have to have sun, right? I mean, it has to be easy. It has to be comfortable. I don't think the ark was that. I don't think Noah was saying, all right, don't worry, don't worry. We got some sunshine. I'll find you some sunshine. No, for 40 days and for 40 nights, this thing rained, and it, and it, was, it was a difficult place to be in. But, you know, my friend, as he, as he develops this analogy, he says this. The church is a lot like that. Sometimes it stinks. Sometimes there's messes. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, it's God's plan, and it's better for you to be in it than out of it. Right? At the end of the day, it was better to be in the ark than out of the ark. And it was, it was for their benefit. And it was God's plan for Noah and his family to be in there. And I think, I think my friend is right. I, 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 think, I think he's dead on that. That it is God's plan for us to be part of a local church. So let's work through our outline. Let's look, work through this uh, this morning. And um, we'll see if, um, if, uh, if this makes sense to you. Number one, you've seen your outline, is the question, should we even have a church membership? So I wanted to look at some biblical evidence about the points of the concept of this and some reasons why it's important to join a church. And then next week, like I said, we'll look at more, some more practical um, uh, practicality of what it means to be a member of the church. So if we're all part of a universal church, like I just said, we're all part of the body of Christ, it's another way of saying that, is it important to have a membership for a local church? And I would say yes. First of all, there's the New Testament example. There's a New Testament example. And, and I think part of the confusion in this, before I get into this, let me just say this. I think part of the confusion in this is that there's a huge historical distance between today and the first century when we start reading about the, the church coming out of the scene in Acts. Um, to be a part of a church, I, it, it, it would almost be like, well, if you were to ask someone, are you part of a church? It would almost be like, well, are you breathing to a Christian? Uh, well, of course. Uh, it, it wasn't a popular thing. And, and I don't think the New Testament writers, the human New Testament writers, had any concept of all the different churches that we have today. 
in all the different types of churches. And, and, and even, even in this area, I mean, there are several churches here that, that, that you know, believe the scriptures, that teach Jesus Christ. And, and I don't think that there was that concept in their minds at that day. It was, it was, they had cities, they had a group of gathering uh, Christians in that city, so they started a church. We look through Acts, and we see when Acts came to Philippi in Acts 16. What did he do? He went and he looked for people there, for Christians, and there was none there. So what did he do? He found some Christian women that were worshiping together down by the river, Lydia. And so he went down there, and then that started the church at Philippi, was finding other believers in the city. And so, so that's what was happening here, this idea of First Baptist Church down here, and First Pres over here, and Tenth Pres over here, and, and you know this Bible church over here. That, that was foreign to, to them. And that, that would, so the idea of, oh, I can go to this church, I can go to this church, or whatever, that, that was totally distance, different. So we need to understand there's a historical distance here. And so part of what we're trying to navigate, the waters that we're trying to navigate today are more difficult in some ways. Because here, and this time, it was, well, I, I, I claim Christ, and so I'm part of the group of Christians that have gathered in this city. And that was a, it was a very natural thing for them to do, whereas we've morphed into this idea where there's a lot of people that believe that you can be a Christian and not be associated with a church or not be joined to a church. And th- that was a foreign concept. It's, it's kind of like the idea of baptism to the New Testament Christian where it was, it was just immediate. I mean, that's what they just did. Of course they were baptized because that's what you did. It, 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 there, was no, there was no framework in their mind to be a Christian and then a long period of time and then be baptized. To be a Christian, part of the conversion process was that public declaration in their minds, and so that then they would just be baptized there. And so we have made things a lot more complicated by inserting these distances and things like that. So we have to understand that as we're trying to interpret this. But the New Testament terminology that is given throughout the, 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 the scriptures here, the New Testament, I think is, is very helpful to us. And so I put some uh, verses on the screen for you. Acts 6, verse 5. It says, and, when they, and, they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, uh, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, what is going on here in Acts 6? Well, this is the time when they're choosing those servant leaders. It was, it was, there was a debate that came up. That there was between the, the, some widows were being neglected. And so the apostles said, we can't handle this job. And so we need some servant leaders to come up. And so what they did was, is that they said to the, to the congregation, the gathered people there, the church there in Jerusalem, they said, okay, here's the qualifications, and they gave qualifications, and they said, you find these guys who meet these qualifications, bring them to us, then we will appoint them to this task. And so verse 5 is the response to that when it says, and this pleased the whole gathering. Well, who are the whole gathering there? Well, that's, that's the church there. That's the church in Jerusalem, the Christians that, that had, had been together. So it wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just those 12 apostles. It was the entire gathering there. Acts 8, verse 1. This is talking about the death of Stephen. And Saul approved to his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so we see that there's a local body of believers. They're talking about the people in Jerusalem there. That Then the Christians are scattered. Then if you study Acts, you see these other churches that start forming in all these different cities. We have uh, Philippi, as I mentioned. We have uh, Thessalonica. We have Berea. We have uh, uh, Colossae, which Paul didn't start, but nonetheless there was a church there. And so we see these churches springing up. And so we see this in the New Testament. Another verse, Acts 9, verse 26. This is talking about Paul's conversion. Paul, whose name was Saul, he is converted on the road to Damascus but in a miraculous way. And then so he, he comes into Jerusalem, and this is what it says in Acts 9.26. Luke says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. What was Paul trying to join there? He was trying to join this group of gathering by saying, hey, I am part of you now. I want it to be known that I am part of you. He wasn't just trying to sit in on their meeting. He wasn't trying to, to just kind of watch from a distance. No, he says, I want to join them. And, and the word join there literally means glue. He says, See, I'm trying to glue myself to you. I'm trying to be in partnership with you here. And so I think as we're looking at this, we can see this, this terminology leads us in this direction. And so keep in mind, we also have to keep in mind that almost all of Paul's writings were written to churches. They weren't written to individuals, they were written to churches. You know, 1st 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. And then the others that he wrote were written to leaders in the church. And so he was, he, obviously he had a high uh, emphasis on this idea of church. So the New Testament terminology, I think, lends us to a, an appreciation towards church membership. Secondly, and I don't want to spend much time on this, but New Testament metaphors. This is very similar, but we need to understand the local church, what this is here, should always be a microcosm of the universal church. So these metaphors teach us that. First of all, we have the building metaphor. We see this in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how to behave in the household, or it could be translated house, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so we see that there's this language here about house, and I think that that's reinforced with the idea of pillars and whatnot. And so this idea, this metaphor, that the church is a building, and, and even the local church, which being a microcosm of the universal church, is, is a building, and, and there's parts to it. And so I think that lends us towards this idea. Um, there's, secondly, there's the body metaphor. The body metaphor um, well, before I move on to let me just say this with about the building metaphor. You know, windows and doors, they're usually part of the building for a long time. Windows and doors don't just come and go all the time. They're permanent fixtures in that. And it shows the idea of commitment there. Moving on to the body metaphor, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, so all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For if one spirit were we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so here we have this idea. Again, remember, he's writing this to a local church. He's writing this to the church at Corinth. And he's saying, okay, God has set up here a whole bunch of different members, and there's different members that have different functions. 
And that was part of the issue with Corinth, wasn't it? There was this idea of, of pride and contention. And people were saying, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos. And so these are some of the things that he was combating here when he was teaching this. And he says, you need to understand that there are many different members here and you all have a different function and you all bring something to this idea called the church there. Also in Ephesians chapter 4, we see the body metaphor Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And again, written to a church, the church at Ephesus. And he says, you are part of this. And so that each person, each part of this body needs to be working together so the whole body grows. Now, of course, this does have ramifications and does have application to the universal church. And I, and I do not debate that. But I also submit that the local church should be a microcosm of the universal church. And so as we see these different bodies, these different members of the body, excuse me, working together, it should be for the growth of the entire body. Finally, there's a family metaphor. And this is found in 1 Timothy 3, um, or one of the examples is, and the found in the qualifications for an elder, for a leader in the church. He says this, and talking about if you're choosing a leader, it says that they must care for their own household. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So this idea of family, this idea of, of, of a pastor, someone who's a leader in church, an elder in the church, in this qualification here, they must be able to manage their family well or, or lead their family well. And the, and, the, and the example is, and the rationale is, if he doesn't do that with his own family here, his wife and two, three children, or whatever it is, if he, if he can't manage that well and, and every, there's chaos in the home all the time, how in the world is he going to manage the family, taking the, taking the metaphor over, the church of God? How is he going to be able to do that? And so we have all these metaphors here. We have this terminology here that talks about members and talks about us having a part in something bigger than, than just coming to a building, receiving something, and leaving. There's, there's something more here in the New Testament. This idea of, of, of church, this idea of, of, of being a member, being a part of it. So there's this New Testament teaching that, letter B in your outline, the New Testament organization of the church, I believe, also gives us some ideas or some point, or point us in the idea of why membership is a good idea. Each church, each local church had leaders according to the scriptures. In Acts 14, Acts 14, 23, it says this, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So again, now we're talking, we know that it's not just universal churches, local churches here. They appointed elders. This is after the first missions trip and Paul and Barnabas. They're appointing elders in all the churches that they started. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so every church had leaders. Okay, So leaders of what? Why would they need leaders if there wasn't this, this idea of, of an organized church that was coming together for a purpose? They wouldn't need leaders if it was just, let's get together, get a crowd, preach, and then the crowd dispersed. They wouldn't need leaders for that. They would just need a preacher. But they had leaders for something. 
Leaders uh, also is seen in Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Melentus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to them. So he said, the Ephesian elders, I want you to come and talk to me. So the leaders there of the church. 1 Timothy 3, 1. The saying is, no, is, is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Well, the question then comes, overseer of what? What is he overseeing? It's talking about a pastor there, or, or the role as one of the words used to describe the function of a pastor. What, what is he overseeing? If it's just a getting people together, preach, talk about Jesus Christ for a little while, maybe sing some songs and leave, what, what is he overseeing? There's this idea of oversight there. The responsibility of the leader is more than just making sure a sermon is prepared and songs are picked out for the gathered people each week. There's deeper responsibilities given to the church leaders. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Peter says to them at the end of his book, he says, his first epistle, I should say, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Again, saying, you need to do something here. You need to lead this group of people. But I think the verse that is, is, is most helpful to us is found in Hebrews 13. And you've probably heard me mention this verse several times because this verse keeps me awake at night. This, wor- this verse, the, the questions that causes, that stem from this verse, really do plague me in a lot of ways. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I take very seriously the, my role of watching over souls of people in my church. I pray for people in my church. I, I, it bothers me if people aren't growing. It bothers me if, if there's not unity. Because I, I, I really believe that me and the other leaders in the church, the other elders in the church, it's our responsibility to shepherd and to over, give oversight, but also we're going to give an account. Now the question comes, for whose soul am I going to give an account? How, how do I know who I'm responsible for? I ask myself this all the time. Is, is it every person who visits here? Am I responsible for their soul? Is it every Christian in Verona, the universal church? Am I responsible for them? Am I responsible for all the Christians in Madison and Wisconsin and the country? How do I know as a leader, how do I know whom I'm responsible for? That's a difficult question to answer. But I think if we inject this idea of church membership into this, all of a sudden that becomes better. That becomes easier to understand then at that point, right? Because all those people says, okay, I am submitting. I am going to submit. I'm going to obey my leaders. That's what we say when we join a church. And I am going to be part of this assembly. And so what we're doing is we're also asking the people in that church, hold me accountable. And we're asking the leaders of that church to lead in such a way that they will be an account. They will be accountable for my soul. And so when I joined this church, you know, we have, uh, uh, at this point, one other elder here, and, and we have a, we're laying out a process of hopefully adding more to that in the next uh, year or so. But, but nonetheless, when I joined this church, you know, I was asking Wayne as the other elder, I want you to be accountable for my soul. I want you to shepherd me. I want you to look out for me. And so... 
the other elder, my pastor, has influence over me. And, and in other churches where I've served, the same thing. I was a co-pastor church in Rockford for seven years. And uh, the other pastors there, we shepherd each other's souls. Because I, I, I said, you guys are, are, I'm holding you accountable for my soul. And, and so I'm expecting you to, if you see me going off a wrong way, I'm expecting you to talk to me. In fact, when uh, I first was... Uh, contemplating leaving that ministry and coming here, or at least testing the waters here, before I talk to anybody here, including Wayne or anybody else on the pastoral search committee, I went to my pastor. I was a pastor in the church. I was co-pastor in the church. But I went to my pastor, and I said, my pastors, actually, I met with two of them. I said, here's what I'm thinking, guys. But I'm a man under submission, you guys are watching for my soul. What do you think? And so this isn't just for you and then not me. This is all of us here. And so this question plagues me. And so the reason why I, 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 I say, well, how do I know whom I'm responsible for? How do I know who to give my time to? All these questions. I believe that church membership helps that. Now, that does not mean that if you're not a member of the church, I'm not going to meet with you. I'm not going to help you. Uh, I'm not going to pray for you. That's not what that means. But I will say this. That those who have joined the church, I, I sense, okay, they're committed here. They've said that they want to be part of this assembly. And so that's really where my first priority needs to be. And our leaders need to be. So I think that this idea helps us answer this question, these questions that Hebrews 13, 17 bring up. Number two, if you're following in the outline there, it appears that each church had lists of some sort to help with ministry opportunities to the widows. 1 Timothy 5.9 says, Let the widows be enrolled if she, has not less, if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and it goes on from there. What is he talking about? How to care for widows in the church and things like that. And what does it mean to be enrolled in something? It appears that this church, when Paul was talking to Timothy, and Timothy was a pastor, so Paul's instructing Timothy on how to pastor the church, he says, okay, enroll these people. What? What does that mean? This idea of being a part of a list of some sort um, for to this ministry opportunity. Well, they had to be part of something. It appears, number three, that the church had votes of affirmation. Uh, Acts 6, we already were there. The servant leader nominations there that we see in Acts 6. We saw there that what he did was, is uh, uh, the apostle said, you choose out, uh, so here's the nominations, you guys do this, and then it said it pleased the whole assembly there. So people were, the, the congregation was involved in the process. Church discipline is another example of that. In 2 Corinthians 2, 6, it talks about bringing the whole assembly in on the decision there about excommunicating someone from the assembly. What an what a awful thing and a, a very terrible thing to do. But, and the whole church needs to be part of it. But how do they know who's got that responsibility or not? Is it anyone who happened to show up that day for the service? They get a chance to vote in on that? Well, I don't think that's true. And so I think what we see here is that there's evidence that points to an understanding that for function's sake, it's best to have an idea of church membership. And I'm comfortable with that. And I think it's helpful. Letter C in your outline. The New Testament teaching on church discipline. I just talked about that. Um, the, this idea of votes of affirmation there. But in order to be removed some, from something, I'm just talking now logically here. That's why point C is about it. In order to be removed from something, 
you have to be included in it in the first place, right? So in order for you to say, okay, you are removed from the assembly, much like the Israelites, someone who is considered unclean had to go outside the camp. They had to be removed from it. In order to be removed outside the camp, they had to be inside the camp. And the same thing, in order to be removed from a church, and it's a terrible thing, and, 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 but it's for the purpose of restoration and the glory of God and for bringing that person back into repentance. But in order for them to be kicked out of something, they have to have been in it in the first place. And so how do you determine that? And so that's why I think church membership is so important, because what we're saying is you're saying, I want to be held accountable. I want to be part of this. This is my church. And so I am inviting people into helping my soul grow spiritually. That's very scary for some people, because we're very much individualistic in our mentality. Radical individualism is, 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 is prevalent in our society. In fact, the, you know, the person's ability to choose and right to choose is sovereign in their life rather than being submitted to other people. That's a foreign concept to most people. So again, there's no verse that says local churches must keep roles and have a membership process. But this is probably because the vast amount of churches and cities today was not in the realm of possibility for the, the New Testament authors. But I do believe, and when we take it in totality, and these are just some of the things, that it seems that the book of Acts and the Pauline epistles, as well as the book of Hebrews, points us to embracing the concept of church membership. So now let me, in the last couple minutes, let me just briefly share with you why we should, you, why I believe you should join a church if you're not a member of a church already. And in this, though, if you say, well, Jeremy, I, I'm a member of the church. When I give these reasons here, you need to ask if your heart is crying out for these things, Okay. Because it's possible to join a church and then be, you know, on the roll, so to speak, but not be an active member. So why should you join a church? Number one, or letter A, it's biblical to formally join a local body of believers. I think we see this all throughout the New Testament. I can spend much time in this because I think this is a summary of what we just said in the first point. I believe that when people were, were saved in the New Testament, they joined themselves, they glued themselves, much like Paul did. And that was the first thing he did after conversion in Acts 9.26. He glued himself to the disciples. He glued himself to the people of God because he knew that's where he should be. I th- we, we do not have any account of, of a Christian being a lone ranger Christian in the New Testament. We always have them being associated with other people, with other Christians in the context of a church. You can think of, well, what about Apollos? What about Apollos in Acts uh, 18, 19? What about him? Um, he comes up you know, from Egypt. He's a, he's a great, great speaker. Uh, seems to be a lone ranger. No, actually he wasn't because Aquila and Priscilla pulls him aside and teaches him the gospel more effectively. And then he becomes part of the church of Corinth. Because remember, what did it say in church of Corinth? It says that the thing, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. So he had joined the church at Corinth. Cephas, he's listed in the same thing. That's Peter. He had joined, one of the apostles joined the church at Corinth. And so we see evidence all throughout the New Testament, a Christian joined themselves to a church. Let it be, it's spiritually helpful to formally join a local body of believers. And how do I think that that's spiritually helpful? Because I believe, number one, we're inviting accountability. We are inviting accountability you know, if, if you're not a member of a church, if, if you just show up and it, it, all of a sudden it's very hard to keep someone accountable because they've never said that they want to be part of the church. Now, they may have been coming in here for years, but they've never stood before the church and they've never said, look, I want you to hold me accountable. They've never said, I want to make this my place of worship. 
And so what they've, they've said, they've just kind of kept everyone at arm's length. Now, they may come every Sunday, but at the same time, there's not the invitation of, okay, I want you to invest in me, and I'm committing to being here. And without that absence, or with the absence of that, becomes some ambiguity. And it becomes difficult for leaders, it becomes difficult for other Christians. And so when someone who's not a member of the church and they suddenly stop showing up for church, do we go after them? Do, do, we, do we go and, and, and try to get them to come back? Well, I think that it's, it's good to always have those conversations. But how, but how hard do we go after people? And, and who goes after the people? Who, who says, uh, you need to be in church? I mean, if they've never said, yeah, I'm part of this church, then how, how, do, we, how do we encourage them to be part of this? That's why I believe membership is important because it, it's inviting accountability. When I joined the church, when I came here, I, uh, I wanted the church to hold me accountable. That was one of the things that, that, that I want. Even as a leader here in the church, I want people to, to hold me accountable. And I've had people tell me, Jeremy, you know, I got this concern here. You know, and, and you know, one person wrote me a note, and, and I was very thankful they did. They, they wrote me a note and said, you know, I'm concerned because I'm looking at, at, at what you're doing and responsibilities you're taking on and things like that, and I don't know that that's healthy. I appreciated that. And, and I wrote the person back and, and, and tried to explain some things that, that maybe, maybe could fill in the gaps a little bit there, but, but the person had a valid point, and I appreciated that. I've had other people do the same thing. That's part of being a part of a church. And so we invite that accountability. You are asking for pastoral oversight when we do that. That's, that's Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. Well, you know, who are your leaders? Well, earlier in the chapter, it talks about those who've taught the word to you. You're asking for pastoral oversight when you join the church. You're asking for, for pastors to be able to kind of pry into your life a little bit. Not in a controlling way, not in a cultish way, but in a way that says, okay, I really care. I mean, why did God give pastors you know, uh, what was last week, you know, um, Randy talked about the idea of how a pastor is a gift. And he, he talked about imagining me with a, a red bow on my head, which was uh, a very scary thought indeed. Um, but, um, in, in, you know, it's, it's awkward for me to say this. You know, it's, it's, you know, I mean, how do you say this without sounding arrogant? I am a gift from God to you. <laughs> you know, how do you say that without sounding arrogant? But it's the truth is when God brings pastors to a church, they're gifts, okay? Now, not all gifts are equal. I'll tell you that, okay? But he brings gifts, right? And so when you join a church, you're saying, I need that. I need pastoral oversight. I need it. You need it. We all need it. So that's what we're inviting here. We're committing to helping each other spiritually. We're committing to helping others spiritually, when, when, when you say, I'm going to join this church, that means, okay, I value what is here, and so I'm going to invest in the lives of other people. As they're investing in me, I am going to then invest in other people by using your spiritual giftedness and uh, fellowship, the sharing of the Christian life together, things like that. That's what's happening here. This is not joining a club. This is, this, this is not like there's certain tiers of, of club membership here. You can you know, be the bronze member, the silver member, the gold member, the platinum member. No, you're either in or out. I mean, there's, there's no middle ground here in the New Testament. It doesn't say, well, okay, join the church, but only show up a couple times, you know, and only do this. No, if you're part of the church, you're committed. That's why I think that this is helpful to us because it, it, it shows that it's a, it's a public way of saying, okay, I'm, I'm in this. Now, it could be argued, theologically, I'm getting a little off topic here, but I'll be quick, I promise. 
It could be argued that we don't need church membership because we have baptism. And I would accept that argument. But the problem is, with so many different churches teaching so many different things about baptism, and, and people being baptized in one congregation, then moving. See, the concept of moving across country in different states and everything, foreign, okay? But it could be argued that you are publicly testifying of your involvement with the body of Christ by being baptized. And that is true, and I would accept that. But I still don't think that negates the need to join a church because I believe after the baptism, they were joined to that local church. And so some churches teach that once you're baptized, you're automatically part of the church. Now, we don't do that here, but um, that, is, that is actually pretty typical in Baptist churches, that once someone's baptized, they're automatically part of the church. But I do believe that, that even though baptism is a public declaration of involvement in the church, I believe that because of the culture in which we live in, there needs to be this idea of, I'm going to stand for the church and ask to be part of this and invite oversight and accountability, and I'm, I'm committing to helping other people spiritually. And then, lastly, there, you're committing to help shoulder the load of the ministry. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so when you join church, you're saying, okay, I'm on the team. Now, I, I may not have giftedness to do this or that, but I'm on the team, and I'm going to help shoulder the load of so I believe that that's part of why we should join a church. And then C, in your outline, finally, it's practically encouraging to your leaders to formally join a local body of believers. It's practically encouraging. They know who to lead. They know who to give an account for. They know who's committed. It's encouraging to your leaders, and it's helpful to them to lead well. So these are just some ideas about why we should join a church. Some of this is going to be infused into our message next week, okay? I told you this week's a little bit didactic, kind of setting the table, so to speak, for next week's message. And so this is going to kind of give us a writing starting for that. But in conclusion, before, before I pray, let me just ask you this. I want you to consider your commitment to your local church. Maybe you're not a member. Maybe you need to become a member. And, you know, we're going to be doing a membership class here uh, coming up. If you're interested in that, see me and we can get that scheduled. Um, so if you're not a member, I would encourage you to really consider that. If you are a member, consider your membership, consider your commitment to the church. Let me ask you this, just by to spark some thinking. Does your calendar show that you are sharing life with other Christians? Or is the time of Christian other involvement just one hour here and then that's it? See, part of being a part of a church means that we're looking out for each other and we're sharing life with each other. Are you giving into the temptation to isolate yourself from other believers? That's a huge temptation to just kind of be in our own world. And the church brings us out of that. How are you using your spiritual gifts and abilities that God has given you? Whatever, and every one of you have giftedness. So the, the question I have for you is, if you're a member of the church here, how are you using those giftedness here? And um, if you're not a member of the church, I would encourage you that the primary place that God has for you to use your spiritual giftedness is in the context of a church. And maybe you're visiting here today, maybe you're a guest today, maybe you're part of another assembly, uh, maybe this church isn't for you, maybe you, I, I don't know. Wherever God leads you, in that church, you need to use your giftedness there. So let me just remind you of a few verses, then I'll pray. Hebrews 4.16 says, When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. 
1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. And then Romans 12, 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And it's in the context of a church that we should do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we can look at this. It's a little bit more of an academic uh, treatment of the concept of, of ecclesiology, doctrine of ecclesiology. But Lord, I do pray that, um, that we would take church membership very seriously. Um, I know that there's, there's some reasons why some people are, are, are not members of a church. But I do believe that, that it's biblical to be part of a church and a member of a church. And so I ask that you give them courage to, to work through those issues. And for those of us who are a member of a church, Father, I do pray that we would take our membership very seriously, that, that we would shoulder the load and that we would be an active part of this assembly here. Father, thank you for the church. You were talking about the universal church when you said the gates of hell will not pre- prevail against it. But that universal church has... Um, uh, it's expressed in local assemblies and local churches. And so we're very thankful that, that you are doing your work here in this assembly. And so we pray that we'd stay faithful. We pray that we would stay true to your word. We pray that we'd love you. And we pray that we'd hate evil. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand.